You are listening to the Concrete Evers Podcast. This is episode 52. Welcome to the Conquering Endeavors podcast. My name is Brian Talor, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for choosing to spend just a little bit of your day here with me. Now, if you have not already, please make sure you follow this podcast and leave a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you are listening. And uh, make sure you share. Go ahead and share this podcast out with your family and friends uh, out there on social media and uh, help them find their way here to us. Now, on today's show, I have a conversation with Abigail Griebelbauer. Abigail is a children's book author who focuses on adding inclusivity through her books and message. She wants to make sure that every student has a book in their classroom where they can feel seen and understood. Her first book, D is for Darcy, Not Dyslexia, is based partly on her own experience of going through school with dyslexia. Now, this topic is also near and dear to me because I, too, suffer uh, from dyslexia. And, um, well, it's an interesting conversation. So here we go. This is Abigail's story. Abigail Griebelbauer, welcome to the Conquering Nervous Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Sorry, I had a little uh, giggle there just because we were just talking about how to pronounce your name, pronounce your name correctly. And uh I still felt like I was going to mess it up, but I think I got it. So. You did it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Welcome to the show. Um, you've got, this will be the first time that we've talked about uh, what your Everest uh, is all about. This is uh, the, the first time we've had this topic on the show. And and I, too, uh, suffer, all, albeit minimal, minimally at this time, um, I do. I have suffered from it more so as a child and a teen than than as an adult. But uh, so the the topic does make me curious. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about wh- who you are and what it is um, that that you do today. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a children's book author. Uh, originally, I assumed in my life that I would be a teacher, and I had decided to kind of. You know, with your students, if you're telling them to follow their dream and you're not following one of yours, I mean, you got to do it. So I decided to leave after two years of teaching. I loved my students, loved my school, but my bigger dream was to live abroad. And this was right around um, right before COVID. And so as soon as COVID hit, I was like, okay, well, now I need a transition. Like, what am I going to do? Because I'm not teaching full time, but I want to be able to travel in the future And so I remembered that, you know, I had written a book previously, but I never thought anything of it. I was just like, oh, I just kind of did it for fun. And then I was like, okay, might as well publish it. And so that's kind of been my journey from there is I've been working as a children's book author and working on my second one right now. And it's been a journey. Yeah. And, and it's been a journey because um, what we're going to talk about today is, 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 is something that could certainly make it difficult not only to to read but to write the book so let's talk a little bit about what your everest is and how you've overcome it yeah absolutely so i am dyslexic which it's actually super common like you said um you have it too as well um but it's like one in five people as many as that so it's extremely common but it's something that you really do kind of struggle with especially um when you are younger and you are learning how to read but it it doesn't go away. I mean, you definitely can 
use different accommodations and stuff in your life, but it's something that you have forever. Um, so it's definitely something that I have learned how to accommodate for, but I have to overcome it every single day because it is just part of who I am. Um, and so that's really kind of what inspired me to write this children's book is to add representation for dyslexia because I didn't see that growing up. And so I knew that children everywhere were missing that representation and it just made me so sad. So I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to write the book. So that's what I did. And how old were you when, when you first were diagnosed with it? Yeah. So I got diagnosed in second grade. So I was very fortunate in the sense that it was diagnosed pretty young. Um, but it's definitely something that I was able to have accommodations for from then on, which really helped me succeed in, um, academics. And did, and having dyslexia, did it cause any, um, did you, did you struggle not so much with learning or reading or anything like that, but did you feel growing up, especially in the in the young years um, leading into high school, did you feel like, you know, you were, quote unquote, different than the other kids, things like that? Because I know a few people that have um, indiv- individual um, learning plans through their schools uh, for for this kind of accommodation or, or, or something very close to it. And that's one thing I've heard is, is they've struggled a little bit with self-esteem because they feel like they're different. Yeah, absolutely. It's if you get pulled out of a classroom to work on things, I feel like you feel different automatically. Um, But it was needed for me to be pulled out to have that time. I think it would have been worse had the teacher come in and worked on this stuff with us in there. Um, I even got pulled out actually for lunch and recess once a week when I was in um, middle school uh, to tutor. And so at that point I was still learning how to read on flashcards. And so it was just myself and my tutor, but I remember trying to eat at the same time as trying to read. And that was always like the worst time to try to figure that out. But yeah, I definitely knew something was different. Um, but I was very fortunate again to have, um, my, one of my best friends also be dyslexic. So we got pulled out together and were able to kind of have it be a little bit more fun than it was like, um, downgrading, I guess. And then my brother also, um, has auditory processing disorder. So his is, he, he was also being pulled out. So everyone kind of like that was closest to me was getting pulled out. So yes, it made me feel different because I wasn't like everyone else, but I was very happy with the people I got pulled out with. Yeah, definitely. I can see where that would make a difference when you have support, um, you know, support that, that you interact with on a day-to-day basis there with you. But as, as you approached into high school, what kind of student were you? Were you a straight A student? Were you middle of the road? I asked because I, in high school, because I, so I never really asked for any accommodations, probably more so because I, you know, I, I was insecure enough and I didn't want to add another thing to, um, to that list. So um, I was a C student. I was an, I, I feel like I was an A student, but I was, I was just getting seized because I wasn't doing my work. Um, I would study, but very little. Uh, so I just, I just got by, I got by with it. Never wanting to ask for help. How how about you? Were you a, a good student or? So I think that my parents definitely instilled the value and the importance of education because they would sit down and really work with my brother and I all throughout grade school. 
it wasn't until high school when I started accommodating for myself and really like talking to my teachers and really advocating and saying like, this is what I need and this is why I need it. Um, that really kind of more like empowered me in high school, but it didn't really, um, become that way. I don't think until college really where I saw like, oh, this is like empowering me, you know, in high school, it was just like, oh, I know I need these things and that's about it. Um, but I think grade wise, I definitely, I don't remember in grade school particularly, but I know that in high school it was mostly A's and B's. Um, I definitely was, again, my parents, you know, they really wanted (laughs) high grades. So I made it work. (laughs) Well, and I, and I, you know, and that's good because when you can self advocate for yourself and and tell the teachers and you know those counselors or whoever in school, hey, this is what I'm going to need to be successful. That really will go a long way. Uh, and that's, I think, any time in life, even when you're an adult and you have that job, you've kind of got to. You, if you're not your own biggest fan, who's going to be? Um, and that was the one thing missing for me is I just, you know, I just like to hit the background and and and, and a lot of folks that I've. Uh, or I shouldn't say a lot, a few folks that I know that have children that, that struggle. Um, that's kind of when I, whenever I've talked to them, that's kind of the same, well, you know, he just doesn't advocate for himself. And um, so I think, I think that's a, that's a great point that, that everybody needs to hear is you've got to empower yourself to, to take, take action because uh, you know best, obviously what you need. What was your motivation for becoming a teacher? Did you just, was it just something that resonated with you or? So my best friend who is also dyslexic um, knew that she wanted to be a teacher like forever. Like that's been her dream. She loves working with the little ones. She was a kindergarten teacher and now she's like a reading specialist. And so I think that kind of had an impact on my decision. And originally going into college, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a teacher. And then I saw the opportunity to study abroad and I actually went into my university with international studies and a global business major. And honestly, the only two reasons why I had that were because it said global and international. So like, I didn't really know I was getting into. And then after the first year of classes and everything, I worked at a summer camp for a very long time. And going back to summer, I was like, wait, if I don't become a teacher, I can't do camp. Like, I'm going to have to be stuck in, you know, the whole entire school year. And that's where I was like, you know what? I love kids so much. Maybe I'll go into special education because dyslexia was something that was so important to me by that point and something that kind of was growing as a passion. And so that's when I transitioned over to special education, elementary education. And it was actually a week before I left for my study abroad um, sophomore year that I changed it. So, so you did get to, you did get to leave um, the United States for a while before COVID hit. Um, and did you, and then did you have to return then when, when COVID, so, or were you out there for a while still? So when I was, it was 2014 when I went to study abroad. So it was um, four months that we lived like in this manner um, it was the one of the coolest experiences. It's like this huge manor in the countryside of England. Like you cannot get better than that, I feel like, as a study abroad experience. And then I actually went back to England and um, France and Germany in 2019. Um, we actually went, I went to Paris twice that year. So I was in Europe the year before COVID hit um, and I was um, traveling and stuff, but nothing was kind of very specific on, oh, I'm going to live here 
at all. Like nothing was really working out um, to be able to live over there. And I had interviews and everything. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And then COVID came and I was like, okay, everything happens for a reason. It was a good thing I'm here. So if, if COVID would have never been a thing and you would have been able to continue your travels, do you think you would have become an author? That's a great question because I don't know. I, I think that having to pivot because of COVID was a huge, a huge factor in starting this journey. Um, I don't know if, you know, 10 years down the line, I would have maybe started it, but I definitely would not have started it had it not been for quarantine and, you know, being at home and not knowing what to do because I wasn't full-time teaching. So I was actually substitute teaching at that point. So I was still in the schools, but it wasn't consistent, especially when we went virtual, like there was nothing for me to do in terms of that. So that's when I really started. Gotcha. And you'd said you had written, um, your first book had been written for some time. Uh, but then when the COVID hit and you had, and you came back to the States, that's when you said, okay, I'm going to see, um, you know, if I can get this published. Uh, when you decided to publish the book, you travel was off the board because of the COVID. You were only teaching part-time. Um, Financially, stability-wise, what was that process like? What was going on in your mind during um, trying to get this book published? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely, I had like the best parents in the world, I feel like, um, because I was able to kind of, you know, live with them. I feel like a lot of people came home during COVID and I, you know, that's something that I will forever be extremely grateful for because I didn't have to pay my mortgage and I have to pay rent and I have to pay for lights and all the stuff that comes with the housing. Um, so I think that was significantly helpful. And then I actually invested in a course using credit cards because I was like, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about. This is something I really want to do. And so I invested in um, learning and having a coach and everything. And I think that was absolutely needed. Um, I know that you had said something about fear and the fear of publishing. I would not have been able to overcome without that course and those coaches that I had during that process. Um, cause it is, it is something that is very hard to overcome. Like people are going to review your book. People are going to talk about it and some people are not going to like it. And that's just part of being an author and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the things you said there, you know, I think transcends even, you know, transcends into all aspects of life. And that is having a good support structure behind you, people that will support you and be there for you and help motivate you. But then also the other part of that is having somebody that's been where you want to be or is where you want to be to coach you and mentor you through the process. So I think, you know, that, that, uh, Many times folks will put those two things together and they, they grind through it, hoping something good will come out of it. Um, yet you, you had the, the ability to, 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 to get your coach and your support structure in place. Let's talk a little bit about your books because you, you now have more than one, correct? The second one we are hoping to publish by the end of this year. So okay. I know the topic, I know what it's going to be about, but the illustrations aren't done and we're still working on the formatting and stuff. Okay. So the book you have out there now, what let, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's titled is D is for Darcy, not dyslexia. And it is about Darcy and kind of her journey through school. 
it's in part based on my own school experience and kind of really struggling to uh, read out loud and having that fear and anxiety during that time. And then um, spelling tests, getting that back and having that be an F every single time almost. That was something that was like extremely difficult to overcome. And then also we tried to showcase the strengths of dyslexia as well. And um, one of those is creativity. And so Darcy's a really fantastic artist and that's really displayed well in the book. And can you talk, can you talk any, any about the next book or is it still too, too soon to get into? So we know that the character is going to be um, a child with ADHD and I, is going to be involving community theater this time. I wanted to make sure that the next book didn't have necessarily school because ADHD dyslexia isn't just something that affects you at school. It affects you in life. So I think that's something that I really wanted to showcase. As a question just popped in my mind that did you ever have any naysayers in your life that said, Oh, come on, Abigail, you know, you've got dyslexia. You're going to write a book. What, you know, did you have any of that or any any doubters? Mm, I think when I was younger, definitely like people, especially in grade school, you know, kids are young and yeah. they don't really know anything in terms of like what you're going through. They don't understand what dyslexia is and all of that. So I definitely think when I was younger, we were, you know, people thought that we were dumb, thought that we weren't smart, that we got pulled out because we weren't like everyone else and we're not like everyone else, but we're not dumb. You know, we have so many strengths and all that kind of stuff. So I think that definitely kind of, you know, when you're young, that makes an impact on you for, for life until you kind of work through those and figure that out. Um, But I think when I announced that I was going to publish the book, I really had a lot of supportive people because if they're not supportive, I didn't keep them in my life. Like I really am very particular about the people who are um, in my life because I want to make sure that I have that support and that I'm supportive to them. And I think that's really um, important to have. Um, I have a small circle, but I have a great circle and I wouldn't want it any other way. So yeah, no. So, and yeah, sometimes that's, and I'm, I'm the same way. Keep, keep the circle small and, and, and know who's in it. Um, you had talked about, I think, you know, as, as you were talking about being young and kind of having some of the, the young kids um, pointing out kids with needs and, and saying, you know, the, Hey, they're dumb or whatever the case may have been. I think back, so I was a child of the eighties and early nineties um, when I was in school and there was a lot of stigma attached with um, special education. There was like one one classroom where the, those kids went to. I remember there was a lot of um, joking and kidding about you know kids that rode the quote unquote short bus and things like that. And I and I and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, although that's how it was intended. Um, you know, back back in those days, because kids can certainly be cruel. Even high school kids can be cruel. Do you think? Um, you know, being in the teaching profession, uh, do you think it's becoming more accepted today as we get to know more about mental health and 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 and, and special special needs as far as uh, in education? Do you think it's that that some of that teasing and bullying has tapered off in 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 these years that we're in now as opposed to earlier on? 
So I think in some way, teasing and bullying will always exist. I don't think there's any way to avoid that. However, I really believe in inclusive books. I really believe in starting conversation early. You know, not every classroom is going to have a student in a wheelchair. Not every classroom is going to have a student who maybe has a limb difference um, or something that's not visual like ADHD or, or sometimes autism or whatever it may be. You know, if we have books to be able to provide that experience without it actually being inside their classroom, I think opens up a world of understanding and acceptance before they actually have that experience. Or better yet, if a student is in their classroom, opening up and starting that conversation and allowing that student to really describe their experience and talk about their experience if that's what they choose to do. You know, I know some students would say, yes, I want to talk about it. Like, yes, let's have a conversation. And some other ones are super shy and they're not maybe ready for that yet. So I think, you know, if you have a student like that inside the classroom, it's really important to ask them first and figure out if that's something they truly want. Um, but if you don't like un inclusive children's books, like you can't have enough. Yeah, that's a great point because, it, you know, if you have those conversations and in, in their it, you know, you're honest up front about it. And you, it, I think it helps break down some of those stereotypes, you know, that every kid that, that has, um, you know, whether it's a learning plan or, or, a, or special education class, you don't know what that limitation is. It could, it could be something really simple that doesn't, you know, um, take, take, take away from who that person is, but rather just, you know, they're a little bit, you know, maybe they learn a little bit slower, they read a little bit slower, whatever the case may be. So I think that's a great point. Um, let's talk about your website and what people can expect to find if they go out and visit it. Um, I have it here in front of me, but my eyes can't find it quick enough. So I'll let you introduce it. Yeah, absolutely. Our website is thepassagepress.com. It's what we publish under um, Cecilia and I, the illustrator. And we um, on our site currently have our, our one book. We will add the second book as soon as that is live and on Amazon. And uh, I think it'll probably just be on Amazon first. It took a little bit of time for our first book to be um, at Barnes and Noble and Target. So that'll be probably a little bit lo longer. Um, for those. But um, the one really cool thing that you can find on our website is something called the ICB fund. It's the inclusive children's book fund. We have 10% of our profits actually go to this and we are trying to get as many inclusive children's books into classrooms as possible and free of charge for teachers because as a former teacher, I know how much I spend on my classroom. So I don't want to ask teachers to be able to do that. So I definitely want to provide that free of charge for them. I work with some amazing other authors who are inclusive and have just done phenomenal work um, in their own way. And so on the website, you can find their books, um, what they publish under and who the author is as well. And do you, do you, are you doing any sort of coaching, helping new authors now, or is that, you know, is that something you've thought about? You know, that's not something I have thought about, but a lot of people have like mentioned like, Oh, I want to write a book. Um, especially in my, um, closer life when I have people around me and I, they ask me about the book and they're like, oh yeah, I, I have this idea too. I think everyone has a book idea, or even if you don't think you have one, I think you do. Um, you just don't know it yet, but I think it's something that you have to have a really strong why. If your why isn't strong enough, it's not going to happen. And so I think if individuals in my life who I'm, I'm close with were like, Hey, I'm, I'm really interested in this book. I really want to write this. This is why 
I think I would help them. I don't know if I would necessarily coach right now, um, but you know, I can't say never. So who knows? Never know. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit with this question. Um, although I don't think I'll have any trouble with it. Uh, you know, uh, demographically it, it's more adults listen to this podcast than teenagers or, 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 or youngsters, but for the adults listening that may have a child that's struggling in school, maybe they're struggling with the stigma behind, you know, learning disability, whatever the case may be, what, what advice could you offer that parent? And what advice could you offer that child? Mm -hmm. I think first and foremost for parents, patience is, is something like it's really hard and you know, your child's going to get upset. And I say that because I was upset with mine um, when, as we were struggling to get the homework done and stuff like that. But I think patience is something key, but also finding something that your child is great at, like get them involved in different things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a paid thing. Like you can find dance videos online. You can go play soccer and in the park. Like it doesn't have to be something that, you know, you are paying for a coach and you're paying for classes or, or whatever it may be. Um, but I think trying to find something that they do enjoy is something that's really, really valuable, especially if they're struggling in school, because you got to go to school, you know, five times a week, most times all the time, except for summers and breaks and not, it takes a toll on them for sure. So I think patience and finding something they're good at would be my top two tips for parents. And um, probably the third thing for them would be just being communication with your teacher and um, really advocate for them. I know my parents advocated for my brother and I so much constantly all the time to make sure we got what we needed um, because you know best and your child knows best. So that's kind of what I would say to parents. Um, to advice for kids, I would say persevere. It's going to be one of your strengths in the end um, because you're learning right now how to overcome everything that's challenging and find stuff that is helpful. Um, don't be afraid to highlight your book. Don't be afraid, you know, obviously as a former teacher, I should probably say, you know, make sure it's not a library book or something like that. <laughs> but definitely um, just don't be scared to try different methods of how to learn. And that would be really helpful. I know that for me learning vocab, I had to have flashcards, the word on the front, the vocab on the back. And I would always do these little tiny tricks of like, I don't know, I'd cut, you know, beautiful. Everyone knows how to, you know, do that one Wednesday. Everyone knows how to do that. But I would even do like certain letters for the certain words on the vocab. So I would, that worked for me, but you got to find what works for you. And I, like I said, with the parents, find something you're good at as, as a kid, they can do that too, whether it's them drawing or writing or um, whatever it may be. Very good. And what's next up for you? I mean, I know you have the book in the works right now, but you know, beyond that, what what's what's next on uh, on your path? Yeah, so Dyslexia Awareness Month is coming up. It's in October. I think it's going to go live in October. So yep. So it is Dyslexia Awareness Month, and this month we are putting together a fifty states virtual book tour, and I'm doing free author visits, um, twenty minutes per state. So far, I've gotten five states already. Um, 
I know who the people are. They're not scheduled yet, but I know that those um, states are covered. So I'm still working on the other 45, but I actually just announced it today. So it's something that I'm really looking forward to um, being able to go into classrooms and start these conversations. Um, I think really helps with that understanding and acceptance in the classroom and, and knowing that, you know, when a student is leaving or a student is having extra help, it's because they need it and it's because it's going to help them succeed. Um, so I think that's something that's really, really valuable. And I'm looking forward to the end of the year with our next book coming out um, soon as well. I think the response with this first one has just been so overwhelming and so fantastic that I can't wait to see what happens for the next one. And for anybody listening, obviously, I'll have all the links um, for social media and the website and everything for Abigail in the description below. And um, as as far as the next uh, or the the current book, it sounds like you can find that Amazon, Barnes and Noble, about anywhere that books books are are available for for sale or for sale. Um, any final thoughts or words of wisdom as we get ready to wrap up here? Um, as far as um, it could be for parents, kids, anybody. So I think with my Everest of dyslexia, I think it took a little bit of time for me to figure out how to overcome it. And overcoming it for me looks like having it empower me and having it be something that I advocate for and that now I have a passion for um, and bringing awareness to. I think that asking for those accommodations has helped me. I love the strengths of empathy is one of the biggest strengths that I've learned from my dyslexia because I had so many struggles that that empathy is now a huge part of my life. I think storytelling, creativity, and communication are all really strengths of dyslexia as well. So trying to find the strengths that came out of your Everest are is one of the best things that you can do. Um, so I, I think that's kind of my last words of advice. Yeah, that's that's and that's perfect. And that's what this podcast is all about is is, you know, just keeping keep keep fighting the good fight, uh, overcoming it, because then you can lay the groundwork and the foundation for others that that, that are struggling as well. So, uh, Abigail, I appreciate you being on the show. I will definitely uh, follow your path uh, via the social media and websites and uh, look forward to seeing what the future holds for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. If you are enjoying the content being created on the Conquering Everest podcast, please consider a donation. Your donation will help this podcast continue to grow and reach more listeners. Thank you for your support. And as always, aim high, be courageous, and you will do amazing things.